This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out, Talking Science, episode number nine, recorded on January 17th, 2019. listening to the podcast that takes you beyond the classroom and into the trenches of science. I'm Dr. Abby Abdallah, and I'm here with Dr. Fawner. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Started the semester feeling refreshed and rebooted for at least two more days before I, you know, get back down in the dumps and wish for summer break to already be here. I'm already looking forward to uh, spring break. <laughs> I don't know about you. Although it's only been, uh, what, a week and a day for the start of classes? A week, week and a half. Well, by tomorrow, it'll be, what, a week and a half of full classes so far. Roughly, roughly. But, yeah, we'll see. Get through the semester as fast as we can. Cool, cool. And your uh, 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 students haven't gone on your nerves uh, so far? Not I at all. <laughs> I have some pretty good classes this semester. Uh, human phys. Uh, intro to Exercise Fizz by 191, and then uh, the HPI course. So going to be doing some cool stuff with some health-focused students with preparing for grad school, uh, MCAT, GRE, interviews, all of that fun stuff. I'm actually I'm, I'm pretty excited for the selection of courses I have this semester. Yeah, you're uh, quite busy this semester, a bit busier than uh, I. And um, yeah, good for you, man. And you've got a couple uh, kids doing research in the lab, right? You've got a couple senior research projects in the making? Yeah, we have that physiology research that your class is going to be involved in, which reminds me yeah. I need to maybe talk to your lab this coming week about participating in this kind of stress study. Who yeah, wants you can to have all three hours if you want. Oh, well, let's not go that far. I don't <laughs> want to get, I don't want just, get crazy uh, here. But. Uh, lay back, have a coffee. No, give me about maybe 20 minutes, and I'll get out of your hair, and then you can, you know, sure, sure. do your job and start doing lab work. And uh, leave me nasty messages on the board again. Oh, uh, well, I'll save that for the end of the semester. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. And uh, anything else you uh, want to talk about, uh, touch on, before we uh, get going? I don't think so. Nothing off the top of my head. Give me a few more weeks into the semester. I'll have some things to drone on about. Sure. All right. So, uh, keeping in the uh, tradition of talking about a uh, famous scientist on the day we record, uh, we really missed it by a day, but yesterday, uh, December 16th, uh, uh, was Diane Fossey's uh, birthday. It's January, isn't it? January. Yeah, we're in January right now, are we not? We are in January, aren't we? Should we keep this or should we cut it? That's the question. <laughs> I don't know, man. Why did I think we are in December? I am so not ready for the new year. Yeah, I'm afraid of what I'm mispronouncing in classwork. Oh. <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm giving due dates I got to go back and check my uh, syllabus now. Just make sure I've got de- January instead of December. You know who else is out of it? Is, I mean, it's going to be a shout out to a previous guest, but... TJ, man, on Monday he was preparing some human phys stuff, and he was like, Dr. Fawner, this isn't working. And I would click a button and go, will it work now? And he would just put his head in his hand and go, God, I need another few days off. <laughs> so trust me, I think so, everybody is in like a haze right well, now. Well, I mean, I, I, I looked it up, so I, I guess I just uh, kept it December from last time, but she actually is born January 16th. Okay, so we were correct. We were correct. We just we, put the wrong we, we word just here. put the wrong word in. Absolutely. We all make mistakes. I'll well, blame you was, on this one. Even no, no, that I was my fault in. for calling it out. I should have just pretended like it said January. Okay, all right. So January 16th, 1932, Diane Fossey's birthday. Um, and she was the one who did the work with the mountain forest gorillas in Central Africa, specifically Rwanda, correct? Yeah, man. She, uh, she lived a... Uh, she lived a scientific life that uh, most of us wish for, uh, right? So she did uh, she for didn't years. Have to, I mean, she didn't have to hear arguably another human being's voice for, for years. years. Yeah, She was just in her element, free-living in a completely uncontrolled environment, um, seeing yeah. how these animals reacted and yeah. behaved in th- their natural, you know, habitats. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, she, she observed gorillas' habitats and... Uh, 
uh, including, you know, the uh, silverbacks, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, she wrote in 1983, Gorillas in the Mist, to uh, acquaint the public with the threats to uh, gorillas from poachers and loss of habitat, which uh, sadly uh, cost her her life. That's a really scary. Not, not the book, but her work cost her yeah, her yeah. life, yeah. And what was it? Uh, suspected to be hacked by the use of a machete, right. um, found near the center. And again, I don't know this, but did they ever, they never proved like who did it or if it was they, they poachers never found or out who did it or if it was specifically uh, gorilla poachers or not. Uh, but yeah, she was, uh, her body was found uh, hacked by a machete. Uh, but she did really uh, bring a, uh, a, a light to. Um, Oh, like an increased emphasis on how these animals were acting, the threats they were facing, right, the whole poaching issue. I yeah. would be, uh, I would argue and say that um, without her work and, like you said, shedding a light and a greater emphasis on this, that uh, poaching would maybe not be seen as such a uh, deadly consequence to these animals as it currently is. Right, and she, uh, along with uh, Jane Goodall, are uh, you know who did similar work uh, observing uh, other. Uh, uh, primates uh, pretty much uh, brought uh, that sort of uh, science to the public eye. And uh, 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 what's her name? Fossey uh, did uh, set up a research center in Rwanda, the Karisoki uh, Research Center that she uh, directed as well uh, up until 1980. That's great. But yeah, absolutely. And uh, she loved uh, her encounters with the gorillas and um, you know, she she often said that you would uh, you would uh, hear them before you see them. Mm -hmm. uh, you would smell them before you hear them. Yeah. And uh, eventually, uh, you see uh, you see these gorillas, and it's uh, awe inspiring. And just to be a little bit more accurate, today we actually do have. A famous scientist. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about celebrate. <laughs> okay, so we shouldn't mention that it's Ben Franklin's birthday today. We can, we can. Yeah, I put it in there. So well, I mean, but, that's all we have to mention. Ben yeah, Franklin's Ben birthday Franklin's today. birthday is today, and he is arguably one of early America's uh, most impactful scientists. Right? He did uh, do a lot of uh, cool stuff, but yes. uh, I like Diane Fossey's story a little bit more. Well, that's why <laughs> we talked about her for three minutes, and now we're going to move on. From move ben on Franklin. to what we want to talk about. Yeah. So uh, today's episode. So uh, one of the things that we've been. Uh, uh, talking about uh, Fawner and I here, sort of throwing back and forth, is, uh, you know, we, every year the uh, Nobel Committee uh, gives out a, a Nobel Prize, and uh, for the majority of the general public, uh, certainly for uh, some of our listeners, uh, the science behind those Nobel Prizes is a bit... Uh, vague or confusing and... Uh, Obscured we, even, right? Sure, sure. Or complicated, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we thought it would be a uh, good idea to talk about some of the science behind the uh, Nobel Prizes. And, you know, this is a bio podcast. So uh, we picked the 2018 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine, which was uh, jointly given a doctors James Allison and Tasuku Honjo, I think that's how you say his last name. I'm pretty impressed by that. I would have just well, I, I made Americanized. It. I completely made it up. <laughs> I didn't so, know you could do, you know, an accent such we'll, as we'll, that. We'll see. I would just but, say Tosuku Honjo, but you're much more... Uh, it could be incorrect. I mean, I, I don't know. But for their discovery of cancer therapy by inhibition of negative immune regulation... And we're going to explain what that exactly means in the next few yeah. minutes, that's, right? That's, uh, well, next uh, 40 minutes or so. That's the uh, point of this podcast is to talk about uh, negative immune regulation and inhibition of that in cancer therapy. But I think this is an especially important topic. We're not just going to be picking um, Nobel Prize winners in these different fields that every, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every we'll, Nobel Prize winner in a field has some type of link to something that's important for society, for human beings. But in this case, and again, I would argue to say that... I mean, in, we care about the ones related to our podcast of course. And, and our listeners. And yeah. maybe in the future we can bring on you know, a physicist, engineer, what have you, to talk about a Nobel Prize in their areas. Sure, but sure. This is a particular one that I would say at least everybody has experienced what we're going to be talking about here because this actually 
promises to be one of the more enlightening cancer therapies that are probably going to be useful for a lot of different types of cancers and in they the have coming been years. Useful, yeah. And they have been useful, which we'll discuss those stats in a few minutes. I, I mean, I personally think the future of cancer is not uh, this non-specific chemotherapy, right? Uh, the um, future of cancer is specific immunotherapy, of which this is one. Well, just imagine being able to tell your own immune cells, give them actually more specific directions as to how to act and how to identify the cells that are bad in your body rather than flooding your system with horrendous chemicals that kill both good and bad cells alike. I mean, nobody has ever come out of chemotherapy going, oh, that was fantastic, right? right. Yeah, great. I can only Let's imagine, do that again. Yeah. yeah, I can only imagine how terrible a cost that is to your sure, body sure, sure, sure. with very low chance of getting rid of cancer in general. Absolutely. So uh, how do you want to start uh, doing this? We're not necessarily going to talk about cancer itself, right? I mean, We're everybody about knows immune cell, what cancer is. Do you want to give us a brief? Uh, Honestly, you know? everybody knows at this point, and for those of you who don't know, here are the basic kind of bullet points. Cancer kills approximately, what, millions of people every single year, and I would hazard to say every single family has either dealt with cancer, somebody who has had cancer in their family, or a near friend or somebody they know has had yeah, or, cancer yeah, or dealt with the experience with of cancer. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And what we're going to be talking about today, we're not going to talk necessarily about the use of radiation therapy. We're going to briefly mention, I believe later on, um, some chemotherapy uses sure, as sure. a comparison. But we're really going to be focusing on immune therapy. So what is cancer? Well, cancer is what? Uncontrollable cellular division or mitosis right. so uh, cells by different bodily cells. Out of control. Exactly. Uh, these cells could be any uh, cell in your body. It could be bone cell, blood cell, skin cell, brain cell, any cell that has lost the ability to control its own division, replication, and, and we know uh, that, growth. And we know, and this is for the foundations of biology students, all one of you who are currently listening to the podcast, <laughs> that we talked about checkpoints in the life cycle of the cell, right? These checkpoints are tightly controlled. Each cell only needs to divide when it absolutely needs to. It has to be told to stop dividing. Right. When cells lose that ability, to, uh, to stop dividing and they can just keep on dividing without any instructions to not divide, that's when you run into these cancerous conditions. And they become cancerous, exactly. absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is the result usually uh, of uh, mutations mm -hmm. in the genome and uh, the accumulation of those mutations. And, uh, you know, it was uh, groundbreaking when discoveries came out that, oh, there's such a thing as oncogenes mm -hmm. uh, or genes that are related to uh, cells becoming cancerous. The development of so, cancer. Sort of cancer genes, right? Yep. And uh, a total accumulation of mutations in these genes over a long period of time renders a cell uh, cancerous. And one thing that is particularly hard to treat about cancers and cancer in general is the fact that, number one, early detection mechanisms for a lot of these cancers. Of course, finding a cancer or a tumor early leads to a much um, better prognosis for that patient. Absolutely. But, the problem is most people don't have symptoms mm -hmm. of something uh, or of a cancer till that is way past or well or metastasis occurs, right? Correct? Well past that early stage. And once uh, a cancer becomes metastatic in nature, and metastasis metastatic meaning simply means that the migration of uh, cancer cells from the primary tumor site to a more distant or a second location in the body. So now you're getting the formation of possibly you know secondary third, fourth tumors, et cetera. And by that point, you're getting invasion into other body tissues. Now you need to use something like radiation or chemotherapy that's more of, I want to use like the term shotgun blast approach. It is. Right? Uh, that's it's a shotgun blast. Yeah, you don't know what yeah. you're hitting. You're going to yeah. kill body cells and good cancer ones. cells. You're going to kill yeah. good and bad cells. And that's the problem with both chemotherapy and radiation is that it is a non-specific non uh, response, right? And what's really promising about what we're talking about today with immunotherapy is the idea that even with certain metastatic cancers, I would hazard to say that by bolstering and enhancing the immune effects of your T cells, treatment of metastatic cancers with immune therapies 
might be just a little bit easier, might be more effective. But again, we'll be talking about that as we progress. And, you know, we did talk about um, some of this stuff in previous episodes, right? We've talked about uh, gene therapy for uh, the uh, leukemia cancer, right? Mm -hmm. We had had touched upon this uh, previously in the past, but... Uh, we keep throwing around uh, this word TISA, right? So your your body has an immune response, and part of that immune response is to defend against uh, foreign uh, invaders or against anything uh, that is a foreign insult to the body, right? And uh, a large component of that immune response, or a subset, I don't I don't want to give it a value, mm-hmm. in large or small, whatever. Yeah. A subset component of that immune response fights uh, things internally. Yes. So uh, uh, trying to prevent uh, or uh, um, cells from becoming cancerous, for example, or uh, cells that uh, in the body that sort of start not doing what they're supposed to do, your body will usually try to clear them out. And it's pretty much successful at doing that. But there are a few instances where escapes happen, right? Or where the body starts uh, attacking uh, its its own cells, and that's autoimmunity, which yes. is a whole different thing that we're not going to talk about today. But uh, usually, there is cancer surveillance in the body. Yes. Right, and 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 the body's own immune response uh, is going around uh, checking for those cells, and uh, when uh, they come across one of those cancer cells, they'll usually kill it. Right. They will. And um, there are certain uh, situations where that escapes, and part well, the cancer cell can almost like trick the T right, cell. Yeah. Right. Pa- part part of that uh, part of that reason is uh, some cancer cells uh, trick the immune response into thinking that the cell is not cancerous, or into thinking that the cell is a very healthy cell uh, going around its uh, its business. And uh, that was one of the bases of the discoveries that were uh, listed in this uh, particular uh, 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 Nobel Prize, right? And the one thing that I found, and not to kind of reverse course a bit and go back from the immune side of things, but the use of immune therapy actually has been around for quite a while. Now, it has not necessarily been... Yeah, I'm, I'm, gl- validated. I'm, I'm glad you dug this one up. I, I, I had not known that it actually goes back that, that much. So this is a fun story about the first use of immune therapy for cancer treatment. And this is back in 1891, a New York-based doctor by the name of William Coley. And again, I just love this story because of who would have thought of this. He injected, a, mi- <laughs> he injected a mixture of beef broth. Yes, I said beef broth and streptococcus bacteria into the arm of a 40-year-old Italian man who had an inoperable neck tumor. The patient... I, I love that the story includes the uh, ethnicity or nationality of the man. Like, that's relevant. Well, you have to be specific, I guess. Well, that, <laughs> <laughs> Don't take anything away from William, William Coley. He wanted to be specific. So the patient, as you could probably imagine, ended up getting horribly sick. He had a uh, severe fever. He had chills. And apparently he was vomiting for multiple days. However, a month later, what was found, and the key result here, his cancer, the tumor, had shrunk drastically. So Coley went on to repeat the procedure in more than a thousand patients, which again, I hate to laugh, but imagining this happening today, it is laughable, and God, the regulatory organizations (laughs) that would come down on Coley. Well, thank God for those. But... um, he well, had, actually, I mean, thank, thank the U.S. government for those. But Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But there were varying degrees of success with these more than 1,000 well, patient I'm, procedures. I, I'm guessing wildly varying. I mean, wildly varying. <laughs> some patients probably saw no effects whatsoever. Some patients probably saw some I wonder you know, how many died of streptococcus infection. I don't know. This is before the days of antibiotics. Well, I... By, by at least uh, 50 years there, right? We would have to look that up. But, I mean, there are a few holes in this story, a few <laughs> opportunities for things to go awry. So, but eventually uh, he got shut down, right? By the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, thankfully, because God knows what other damage he could have done. But Crazy. at the end of the day, even though this was a kind of scary science horror story, what this ends up showing is that by inducing your immune system, by activating and almost sending your immune system into overdrive, Yes, you're going to end up with these symptoms of, you know, immune overactivation, but what's it doing for the cancer? It's basically almost like mobilizing this 
um, insane army, this, you know, army of high numbers of T cells. Turning on the immune response, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, possibly that's what could have happened, right? I wonder if he had any controls, like what is the effect of the beef broth? Did he have beef broth alone, treated samples or whatever? <laughs> Injecting beef broth into people's arms. But, you know, we're, laugh- we're laughing about these infections, right? But uh, it, there was, and I believe he was a German doctor, even though nationality doesn't matter, right? But um, there's something uh, called malaria therapy, mm-hmm. which is thankfully no longer in use. But if you get malaria, you get this uh, cyclical uh, fever, right? Depending yes. on which organism of malaria you are, uh, which organism of plasmodium you're infected with, uh, you can get a fever that cycles uh, 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 tertiary or in, in a, in a, in a uh, quaternary way, right? Uh, so every two, three days, four days, etc. And uh, that fever... Uh, kills uh, that amount of high fever kills certain bacteria, right? Yeah. So uh, it, there was malaria f- uh, therapy advocated for uh, patients with syphilis. Mm-hmm. So you'd give the uh, patient with syphilis malaria, they'd get the fever, the fever kills the syphilis, but then you're left with a patient having malaria. So you're basically <laughs> trading uh, a cure for one disease right, for right. the progression of another. Yeah, but anyway, we're way off, we're way off topic. That's right? okay, we usually are. Um, so over the years, and that was just one fun example of the very first reported use, but you know, in the late 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, and then moving forward, there have been varying uses and efforts of the use of immunotherapy for the treatment and attacking and hopefully destruction of tumor cells. And this came about due to you know, intense basic research. Uh, and of course, like any good scientist, you need to discover what the exact mechanisms are, right? right? What's the exact mechanism of attack here? If you don't know what the exact mechanism of attack is, there's no specificity, and you can't you know, specifically target T cells and tell them, okay, only attack cancer cells, leave the regular body cells alone. So most of this is based on uh, T cells, right? And we keep saying T cells. Why don't we, uh, why don't we uh, say what T cells are, right? Okay. Or I'll tell you what, we'll pick it up. We'll take a quick break for the radio show. Those of you listening on the radio, there'll be a a quick music break. And uh, for the podcast, uh, we'll just keep going. Okay, and we are back with the BioBusters. So let's talk about T-cells, right? So T-cells are a specific and very important type of white blood cell, correct? They are. They are. And uh, they are a, uh, a, a cell that it belongs to the subclass of cells called lymphocytes, uh, of which there are T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes. So there are B cells as well. And B cells are those cells that uh, eventually turn into what's called plasma cells, and they're responsible for the production antibodies. of antibodies. And part of the adaptive immune system, Absolutely. correct? Long-term yep. immunity, immune mm-hmm. memory, all of that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, other things that B cells do, which we want we want to really talk about. Uh, 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 well, I mean, we'll we'll skip the B cells. Uh, T cells is the other lymphocyte, and uh, T cells. There's two kinds of T cells, commonly referred to as CD4 T cells or CD8 T cells. Mm-hmm. These are uh, the markers that are found on the surface of these T cells. The CD4 T cell is more of a referred to as a helper T cell. It goes around helping, and, and again, we're doing a very basic uh, immunology, course. right? Uh, going around helping other immune cells becoming effectively better at their job yeah. is, is a simple way of putting it, right? Uh, which is why they're called T helper cells. The CD8 T cells are uh, cytotoxic T cells. And these CD8 T cells, cyto meaning cell, toxic meaning uh, uh, killing, right, mm-hmm. or toxicity. Yeah. Uh, so CD8 T cells go around killing other either infected cells or cancer cells or cells that should not be alive at that, at that point. Right? Yes. They get a signal to kill. And the way you would activate uh, a T cell 
is uh, through a bunch of uh, signals and receptors. T cells are uh, notorious for requiring multiple signals for activation. And that grants almost a degree of specificity to it, correct? The T cells are only going to attack at a proper time, at a proper location, right. and in a specific yeah. way. You do not want them activated uh, no. willy-nilly effectively, yes. right? So uh, the first uh, uh, signal that T cell receives is a uh, signal that comes from an antigen-presenting cell. So an antigen-presenting cell is any cell that comes uh, into the, it's part of the immune response, mm -hmm. right? And you, let's say uh, you step on a nail. Mm -hmm. And when you step on a nail, you break your skin, you introduce a bacteria. And that's a foreign thing to the body. Body needs to get rid of that. The, a, 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 a cell will come in and eat that bacteria, take it up put it inside of a vesicle or inside of a vacuole or inside, think of it as a, as, as a globe or something, right? Yes. Inside of a vesicle inside the body, inside the cell. Breaks it up into small little pieces. Takes a small piece of that called a peptide. A peptide is a short protein. Very short piece of protein. Anywhere between two to uh, 20 amino acids or so, right? And uh, takes that, uh, and amino acids are building blocks of proteins. Mm -hmm. Takes that peptide, puts it on the surface of the cell, and takes it and presents it to a T cell to tell the T cell, hey, we have an infection going we on. We have a job for you to do. Absolutely. This is a piece of that uh, uh, invading microorganism. Uh, go ahead and start making a, making a response uh, about this, right? Go ahead and look for cells that are expressing this protein. Every other immune cell that has taken up the bacteria will put that protein on and then tells the T cell, hey, wake like up. If you think about it as a metaphor, it's almost like a drug-sniffing dog, right? Or dogs that sure. are going out sure, to sure. morbid, but, you know, look for a body or something. They okay. get a scent, and then they know the scent. They can then go seek out, find the drug or body or sure. et cetera. Same, same exact uh, thing. Uh, T cell is told, okay, this is what we're facing right now. Go ahead, and if it's a cytotoxic T cell, go ahead and find cells that have this and kill them. And that's that's the first signal, right? So that's a, a signal, an antigen-presenting signal. It's an MHC-TCR. We're not going to talk about the specifics, really. So the second signal it receives is a co-activating signal. So in addition to the first signal, there needs to be co-activation. And that co-activating signal uh, on most uh, uh, or on T cells is a molecule called uh, CD28. So CD28, which is a molecule found on the surface of T cell, has to bind to a receptor on that antigen-presenting cell called B7. You know, we're not, we're not going to worry too much about the names until we get to the immunotherapy part, yeah. right? And it is that second activation, effectively, that is manipulated, or that second signal that's manipulated in immunotherapy. Now, uh, the, some immunologists, although you don't really find it in most textbooks, most textbooks, immunology textbooks, will tell you signal one, signal two. Uh, I'm of a proponent that you need signal three, which is a cytokine signal, mm -hmm. IL-2, for the cell to replicate and make more T cells. Yeah. You're really activating it, but without the IL-2, you're not going to turn produce more uh, T cells effectively, right? You want it to activate, but then... Uh, replicate as well and make a ton of T cells. Now, on the surface of those T cells, there are uh, uh, other uh, effectively uh, molecules that act as uh, breaks to the immune response. And the purpose of kind of breaks is to prevent an over response or overactivation of the immune cells, of the immune system. Absolutely. Because one of the last things you want is overactivation, prolonged activation of immunity, which of course involves the T cells. And so it kind of comes down to this intricate balance, right? This delicate balance between what is enough activation or stimulation of the T cells to do their jobs, to hopefully destroy cancer cells. But then you also need these molecules that are on the surface of the T cells that rein it in, right? That right. put the brake on. If Turn it off. Yeah. And the terms we see a lot when we were researching this comes back to a car, right? You have an accelerator pedal, then you have a brake pedal. Sure. So the accelerator pedal will Is increase. that CD28? Exactly. So you have an accelerator, you know, marker that is going to increase the activity and response of the T cell in destroying and taking care of cancer cells. 
And then you have breaks that'll prevent that T cell from doing its job a little bit too much, which would be kind of or bad for the body. Down. Absolutely. Yep. And well, I mean, in some instances, not bad for the body. At the at the termination of an immune response, you want to shut it down. Yeah. Right. And so the break. Uh, a receptor that is found on the surface of a T cell is a molecule called CTLA-4. And that, if uh, uh, if it binds to the co-receptor or that second signal on the antigen-presenting cell, effectively leads to shutting down that T cell instead of turning it on. And the CTLA-4 is one of those molecules that was manipulated uh, by uh, one of the... Um, or was discovered by James uh, Allison, effectively, mm -hmm. that uh, if you were to block the activity of CTLA-4, then which is you, the break. Which is the break. Then you remove that break off of that T cell and effectively uh, turn it on and activate it to go ahead and uh, kill those uh, uh, cancer cells. Now, the important thing to remember here and a question that maybe some of our listeners will be asking is, why isn't our regular immunity enough to recognize and begin attacking? We've already mentioned how cancerous cells can, you know, escape. And well, they the cloak themselves. So, so yep. one of the things that the cancer cells will do is uh, to pretend to be normal cells, they will uh, effectively uh, express some of the molecules that would engage those break receptors and turn, down, turn off those T cells. Exactly. So the other molecule... Uh, uh, that uh, it, the Japanese scientist effectively uh, was recognized for was PD-1 and PDL one So on the surface of the T cell, there's a, a receptor or a protein called PD-1, and on the uh, surface of the uh, cancer cell, you would have a PDL one or ligand, right? Ligands and ligands are going to engage yeah. receptors, and that will cause some type of change in the cell activity when you get the binding of the receptor to the ligand sure. or ligand. Yeah. And uh, one of the things here is that uh, with the expression of this PDL1 that would engage PD1, it would turn off T cells. Yes. And what these scientists effectively did was, uh, uh, and you know, <laughs> we explain it in a few sentences, but it's really brilliant, is come up with antibodies against the CTLA4. The PD1 and the PDL1. So basically, the function of these antibodies is to bind to and these block. break or to these break molecules, the CTLA4 and the PD1 that are located on the T cell surface. And whenever you block these kind of receptors with these antibodies, you're thereby kind of preventing their function, right? You're, you're preventing the break. You're inhibiting mechanism. the break mechanism that's induced by these receptors. Right. Keeping the accelerating mechanism, the accelerating receptors free to bind to the co-stimulation and get that second signal and activate the T cell. Exactly. And with that accelerator being free, you thus promote acceleration of the T cell response. Absolutely. The T cell then has a much more increased efficiency and rate of attack on the cancer cell. Yeah. And with the uh, 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 with the PDL1, that is a molecule that's not on the T cell. It's a molecule that's on the cancer. Yes. But by blocking that molecule that's on the cancer, you prevent its blocking the the break, right? You yes. You prevent the interaction of that molecule with the break molecule on the surface of the T cell, and and by doing so, effectively prevent the T cell from being. Uh, inactivated by the cancer. Right. And Absolutely. that's one thing that I really liked about the PD-1 experiment uh, via the use of these antibodies. You're not only blocking this kind of break signaling communication between the T cell and the antigen presenting cell, but with this kind of, you know, uh, very sneaky method that cancer cells have of helping to initiate this breaking signal or mechanism on the T cell, you're blocking that communication as well. You're actually disrupting the breaking signal between the Absolutely. cancer and the T cell, thus allowing the T cell to actually do its job. And instead of, you know, moving on from the cancer cell, it identifies it as a non-self cell and begins to attack it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I mean, the, the immune response has evolved for years to identify self versus non-self, meaning you don't want to attack your own cells. You want to attack uh, cells that are not yours, so you don't have autoimmunity. But in addition to that, 
uh, immune uh, uh, immune responses have to be uh, uh, sort of, you need to strike a balance. They have to be balanced, right? You need to strike a balance between activation and non-activation. You have to strike a balance between acceleration and braking, braking of course. for tight control mechanisms here. And uh, uh, cancers have figured out a way to effectively put the brakes on T-cells, right? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why your standard levels of immunity may not be enough. Think about it as a constant stop and go. Think about, you know, really bad traffic that you're in. You go a little bit and then you put the brakes on, then you put the accelerator on. And with that halting and progressive mechanism of standard immunity, think about all that wasted time that's allowing the cancer cells to multiply and continue to grow tumors and eventually metastasize. Right. I mean, and the reason for this control, you also don't want T cells going out of control. You can have a T cell cancer. Yep. By having, and there are some leukemia cells that are B cell leukemias or T cells. Those are pretty rare. Well, right. right, absolutely. And, you know, these but are, these are uh, lymphocytes uh, getting out of control, right? And um, so, you know, uh, and, and uh, James Allison, or not James, uh, yeah, James Allison, uh, started working on CTLA4 uh, somewhere around. Uh, 1990s or so, and he had uh, developed an antibody effectively to block CTLA-4 and disengage this uh, T-cell breaking mechanism and effectively uh, fully unleash unleash those cells uh, to uh, go around attacking cancer cells. And uh, they did uh, experiments on uh, a mice, uh, mouse eventually a mouse model. model. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure they started in vitro uh -huh. and uh, they, they did a mouse model. They were able to see uh, the effect of that, but uh, you know, uh, interestingly enough, uh, pharmaceutical industries uh, kind of ignored it, right? They did, and they ignored it. They had no interest in it. Uh, they laughed at him. They 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 thought the guy was crazy. He uh, persevered, uh, stuck with it, and, um, and that was 1994. That was 25 years ago. Almost, yeah. It's crazy. And uh, somewhere around uh, 2000s or so, uh, 2010 or so, a very important clinical study. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, uh, showed uh, striking effects in, in patients with uh, advanced uh, melanoma, which is a kind of uh, uh, skin, uh, skin cancer. cancer. And uh, from there on, those results uh, started being recognized uh, more widely by the scientific community and pharmaceutical industries. And uh, you had looked up uh, some of the drugs that are FDA approved for CTLA-4, right? Drugs that will target and block the action of that yeah. break, that yeah, CTLA-4. Yeah, turning off that off switch. So, it, um, again, the off switch, the braking mechanism, Ipilimumab. Wow, got it. Ipli you yeah, need, yeah, that, you need yeah, a PhD yeah. just to pronounce some of these drugs. So, Ipilimumab. So, you know, I, I, I used to know what these uh, sort of mean. The MAB at the end is a monoclonal antibody. Okay, yeah. The MU, if I'm not incorrect, uh, means it was developed in a murine model. Oh, wow. And the Ipili usually, uh, the first part usually uh, refers to what molecule it binds, but I don't see uh, I don't see that here. I had a professor at Duquesne University, a little bit of a shout out here, Dr. Joseph McCormick, who a few years ago in a special topics grad course, he taught us how to break down these yeah. words. Yeah. Uh, and I apologize, Joe. Uh, I did pay attention at the time, but maybe some of it did not sink in. Yeah, yeah. That's why I have a trained immunologist sitting right. next to me. I mean, I, I, I know some of them. I don't know all of them, right? And uh, I remember even in the immunology course taught at uh, Cornell when I was there, uh, um, I don't know if she still teaches or not, I don't think she does, Dr. Judith Appleton. Uh, she had a little uh, section on that as well. So what does this thing do, right? Ipilimumab, it uh, attaches to CTLA-4, stops it from working. You thereby take your foot off the brake pedal. Your body's immune response and T-cell activity is boosted, and it's going to go and hunt for cancer cells. So what is uh, the cancer treated here? Melanoma. So Melanoma. the skin cancer, correct? Melanoma. And I think it's been reported in some other cancers, but primarily it's been used to treat melanoma at this point. 
Now, the one thing to always keep in mind, and as with any drug for our listeners who see drug commercials, what do you typically see at the ends of those drug commercials? A litany of side, side effects, side effects, correct? Yeah, yeah. Now, every drug is going to have a side effect, especially any type of drug or therapy that's going to regulate or change the activity of immune cells. So because ipilimumab can affect the immune system, it can sometimes cause serious, potentially even life-threatening side effects. Uh, Compared to other drugs that target the PD-1 or PD-L1 that we discussed a few minutes ago, uh, it appears that serious side effects are contributed at a higher rate to the use of ipilimumab than other mm -hmm. antibody um, drugs. Right. Now, uh, the uh, Japanese scientist Tasuku, Dr. Tasuku, uh, also in the early 90s, uh, discovered PD-1 and uh, PD-L1 on the surface of uh, cancers not not discovered the receptor uh, discovered that blocking it has the mechanism an effect, yeah, yes yeah, for for cancer and taking off the T cell break and uh, he uh, also in animal experiments found that uh, 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 there's a uh, clear uh, uh, elimination of cancer uh, or cancerous cells by uh, targeting those and uh, pharmaceutical industries have been um, more successful in developing PD-1 and PD-L1 uh, drugs for uh, immunotherapy. And you had also looked up uh, some of those, right? PD-1 and PD-L1. Do you want to tell us some of the FDA-approved PD-1? Some of those inhibitors. Um, so nivolumab, if I'm not butchering the pronunciation of that particular you know, you PD-1 can, inhibitor. You can give the name of the, the common name of the drug rather than the scientific name, right? I can do that. So uh, Keytruda or Keytruda. Um, Opdivo or Libteo are three specific examples of PD-1 inhibitors, so these antibodies that are going to block the in inhibition activity of PD-1. So the break and, molecule on the T cell. Exactly. And these drugs, the three drugs that we just discussed and mentioned, have been shown to be very helpful in treating other types of cancer, once more including melanoma, but also some other types of cancers that uh, strike the lung, so non-small cell lung cancer, um, renal or kidney cancer, bladder cancer, cancers that arise in the head and neck, as well as Hodgkin's lymphoma. And these inhibitors, these PD-1 inhibitors, are currently being studied and tested for possible use against other types of cancer. And we also have some antibodies that function just, just as... So, just so we don't uh, sort of, you know... Gloss over Gloss something. over it, right? So Hodgkin lymphoma is a cancer of the lymphatic systems, right? So involving uh, lymphocytes, uh, usually you'll see growth in lymph nodes in the neck, armpits, uh, groin area. And usually it's a bad thing when it comes to cancer. If you yeah, have lymphomas signs... Are, uh, lymphomas are tough, yeah. If you have signs of cancer in the lymph nodes and spreading throughout the lymphatic system, those are generally very hard to treat and uh, present with poor right. prognoses. Yeah, and extremely metastasized at that oh, point yes. all over the body. Because it has a root to the rest of the body. Lymphatic sure. system is yeah. widespread throughout the human body. Yeah. Okay. So um, that was for PD-1, and obviously uh, with PD-1 and PD-L1, there's been more success in treat. It, it's a more powerful uh, uh, cancer immunotherapy checkpoint inhibitor drug than the CTLA-4. Not to discount the CTLA-4 at all, absolutely. Yeah. And there are three other PD-L1 inhibitors that we looked up: so Tecentric, Bevencio, and Imfinzi. Imfinzi. Yeah. Something like that. Durvalumab. There you go. Good job. So oh, thank you. <laughs> these drugs have also been shown to be helpful in terms of blocking the breaking effects of PDL1. And so this is blocking the uh, molecule on the surface of the cancer, on not the, cancer. the surface of the T cell. Yes. Yeah. And so this has been helpful. These three PDL1 inhibitors have helped in treating bladder cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, and Merkel cell skin cancer, which is Merkel cells are types of um, kind of sensory cells that are found inside of the epidermis of the skin. And I believe Merkel cells respond to pressure, tactile, I think. Merkel are tactile cells. Okay. Uh, we'll go with what you believe. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I am the yeah. I'm the anatomist here. I should know exactly. Um, they're also being like the PD one blockers. They're also being studied for use in uh, other types of cancer. 
So what, what are some of the concerns of side effects of these drugs? Because, uh, I mean, putting the brakes on things is not necessarily always a good thing in terms of immune responses or unleashing an immune response that goes nuts uh, and, and, you know, kills everything in sight. Uh, that's not a good thing either, right? So the one thing to keep in mind about the use of these different blockers, right? Uh, CTLA-4, PD-1, and um, PDL one is the idea that they are relatively new immune therapies that are being used in human yeah, subjects. Yeah, yeah last correct? Uh, 10, 15 years, yeah, right. But at this point, there are certain, they're only being used in a small subset of cancers in terms of treatment. That's why there's current research that is hopefully advancing and collecting data on the use of these blockers in other types of cancer to make sure that they can be more widely treated for a larger patient population. So one concern is that um, these drugs can potentially allow the immune system to attack some normal organs in the body. And once you start attacking, you know, self cells or cells that are part of the naturally occurring healthy tissues of the body. You start having autoimmunity. Exactly. It's going to be very bad. And some common side effects with the use of these drugs include fatigue, um, cough, nausea, loss of appetite, development of skin rashes, and itching. Which now, I those know, are you know, not, not, not severe, not right? Not life-threatening. I, yeah, I'll take that over cancer. No, of course. I think almost everybody would, right? But there are some less often reported symptoms and conditions, including uh, kind of effects and malfunction in the lungs, um, intestines, liver, kidneys, some disruption to how different glands are able to make the important hormones that are found in your body. So you're looking at massive uh, endocrine dysfunction there. And once you start disrupting endocrine function, as any of my A&P students would probably tell you, or maybe not tell you, depending on how they studied. Um, <laughs> Hopefully you tell you. Once we, they, we've got good kids. Yes, we do. Um, once we start disrupting the ability of different endocrine glands to make hormones, that's going to generally turn out to be quite bad for the human body. You're yeah, you're looking some at problems. Uh, almost all systems being disrupted. Exactly. And so, yeah, uh, the only other concern that's currently being kind of not investigated but being cost? considered. It... Cost and the fact that this can't be overhyped just yet because right. it is only being used. These blockers, it's these not drugs. The goal, it's not the gold, golden bullet. Is, is that a thing? It is, it? yeah, the gold bullet or silver yeah. bullet. Silver something bullet. Something like silver that. Bullet. Yeah. But, um, Pres- precious metal bullet. So what some people believe, and it was a um, oncologist uh, from the Oregon Health and Science University by the name of Vinay Prasad, if I, again, pronounce that correctly. And uh, Prasad believes that with this kind of fame and hype that is attributed to the use of these drugs, maybe some physicians might be getting a little bit too overexcited and thinking, okay, like you said, we found the silver bullet and now we can treat any type of cancer cell with these specific combinations of drugs. Now, now does he have, I mean, he's known to be a bit uh, uh, bellicose at times, right? Yes. Now, does he have a point to make, right? Do, do these uh, uh, He drugs... goes off the rails. Right. But, but, but you mean, do these drugs only treat a very small percent of cancers, right? It's not, this is not a, a, a we cure. We don't know yet. We don't know, and it, so far it has not been uh, recommended for all types of cancers, right? Exactly. And I guess he's more of a, I don't want to say alarmist, but... I think he's raising kind of more conscientious objections to overuse and the misprescription of these drugs, correct? Right, but I mean, they, so far, they, these checkpoint inhibitors have oh, been so shown. Oh, so far, in the, in the cancers that they have, you know, been used in with these Successfully. Uh, patients. Yeah, or, they've, they've um, been. Uh, yeah, successfully. Miraculous, right? I mean. Uh, Almost complete remission. Yeah, yeah. And remission meaning? Remission simply means that you have a disappearance of the signs and symptoms of cancer. Um, Either partial remission, meaning you have a partial uh, lack of cancer cells that are found in different tests, or completely gone. And of course, and the one thing we want to tell our listeners, um, remission does not mean cure. Um, You enter into remission and you are in remission likely for the better part of your life. I think it's very rare when a doctor will say to a patient who had cancer and who's in remission, you are now completely cured because there's always the chance that there is what that one cancer cell that is not being reported on, you know, different um, 
uh, medical tests, uh, there's always an off chance that the cancer could come back and right. you come out of remission. But, you know, people people that have cancer are desperate for a cure, right? There's been some evidence or stories of reported of uh, patients with cancers that have not necessarily been uh, uh, where the, these drugs have been approved for the use with those cancers. And they hear these stories of success and they think, oh, this is going to work for my cancer. And they're willing to pay, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to sort of uh, black market type uh, deals to get some of these inhibitors yeah. when they have not been approved for the kind of cancer they have. And then they end up uh, not getting cured, right? Or possibly maybe more problems being caused through this disruption of normal uh, immune function. Well, right? that's a, to me, that's almost a simple issue that comes down to the professional responsibility of the physician, right? The physician has to be clear and direct with the patient. Yeah, but there's crooks everywhere. Oh, yeah, I mean, of course. Um, and you're not going to have, you're not going to have a, you know, uh, not every physician is going to be 100% ethical and professional. But what the hope of this is, and kind of tying a bow on this topic that we've been discussing, minus a few concerns, minus a few side effects, um, most are very uh, non-life-threatening and very manageable. Um, this is an effective treatment, um, oh, more absolutely. than effective. Absolutely. This is something that probably uh, decades ago cancer patients were hoping for yeah, eventually. No, this is a great uh, discovery, uh, definitely worthy of Nobel Prize in my opinion. Of course. And uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic thing uh, to have happened to uh, cancer medicine over the last uh, couple decades. I agree. Anything else you want to add? I think we explained what it is and uh, talked about a few uh, options. And I think for only 45, 50 minutes, we gave a really sure. good overview of immunity why these drugs are going to be so important in the next few decades of their research and why they're so useful. So, Absolutely. yeah, nothing else. And, uh, you know, if this, uh, if this sort of uh, approach, uh, if you think it was helpful to explain some of the science behind uh, uh, Nobel Prizes, uh, please let us know, right? Email us. Uh, you can email us at the uh, biobusters at gmail.com. That's thebiobusters at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, just search for the Biobusters. Uh, you can use any podcast uh, catcher to download our episodes. You can also listen to our episodes on thebiobusters.podbean.com. And uh, I'm Delbert Ebi Abdallah, and you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Delbert. And you can find uh, Christopher Fawner at Fawner916. And uh, he still has not tweeted anything and uh this has become i think he's just not going to tweet now so i can just like you know talk about it every episode they, i think it's become sort of a classic uh, bio busters and the episode be like water torture telling uh, just keep on telling me <laughs> telling fauna to tweet even though he promised to at the very least tweet the links to the episodes if we can get five emails from any of our listeners uh, uh, dude, be... uh come on you should just tweet the episodes man I'll tweet eventually. You know, advertising me, uh, for, for the show shouldn't just fall on Facebook. me. That's why I have Facebook. You don't even put them on there. I share what you post. Yeah, you, know, you wait for me to post and then you share that. Okay, but, I'll and, post this anyway, episode. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, thank you all for listening and uh, thanks to Baha Namani for the music. And uh, be sure to email us and uh, let us know what topics you want to hear about. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.